If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, so far in the, our series in 2 Samuel, we've seen that David's downward spiral into sin. Uh, in chapter 11, the start of chapter 12 and Psalm 51, we looked at the grace of repentance, uh, the grace that God has given for those in sin to turn to Him. And, and this morning we're looking at the rest of chapter 12, particularly as David here is starting to face the consequences of his sin. And so let's read together from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. And then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set, before him, set food before him and he ate. And then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? But I, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David com comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Reba of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I fought against Reba, moreover I have taken the city of waters. Now then gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it is called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Reba and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold and in it was a precious stone and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount and he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. At least so far in the reading of God's word, may he reform our lives to its truth. 
I remember when I was a young kid, uh, still in primary school, very young kid in primary school, one of my heart's desires was to have a mountain bike. Man, I begged and pleaded my mom for months to give me this mountain bike. And finally, after gnawing away at her, she gave in. I've got this beautiful blue mountain bike. I can still remember it today. And after a while, I asked her, can I take my bike to school? Because we just lived around the corner. It wouldn't be a big thing to, to go from my house to the school with my mountain bike. And I, again, gnawed away at her until she gave in. And remember that first morning, I was a Gewurzamusian. I was a good boy. I listened to I went straight to school. I didn't muck around at all. Of course, I didn't. I found a few friends and we went for racing and we jumped off the paving into the road and we went to school with, with a lot of fun. And lo and behold, someone was following me. Uh, my mom was checking up on me. She didn't let me just go around. And, and suffice to say, that beautiful blue mountain bike of mine was taken away and I had to walk to school. Why am I sharing that story? Because at that age, I really understood that actions have consequences understood now really that old law that we reap what we sow. I'm sure you would agree with that law, right? We reap what we sow. Our actions have consequences. This is a universal law, and we see it all around us. The businessman who cheats on his taxes will have to pay the piper, I mean sorrows. An alcoholic who gives in to that addiction will have to bear the consequences. And, and I can go on listing all the examples. We know this. Uh, this principle is also chiefly taught for us in the Scriptures, especially when it comes to our sin. You reap what you sow. Your actions have consequences. Uh, Galatians 6, 7, it reminds us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he also will reap. See, God is not mocked. He is a God of mercy, yes. But he's also a God of justice. And in his mercy, he allows us to justly reap what we have sown. He allows us to justly bear the consequences of our sins. Sometimes he lets us lie in the bed that we have made. He lets us eat at the banquet of our consequences. And that's what we see in David. That's what we will see in the rest of David's story. In his sin, he has been carried away by his lust. He's taken another man's wife. He's acted in violence. And in the rest of David's story, we see that his sons will be carried away by lust. In the very next chapter, one of his sons rapes his sister. We see that his wives will be taken from him. We see that his house will be characterized by violence. Four of his sons will die untimely deaths. See, in the rest of the narrative of 2 Samuel, David will have to reap what he has sown. He'll have to bear the consequences of his sin. And he will bear these consequences as someone who's been saved by grace. Remember, we saw that last week. He was convicted of his sin. He repented by God's grace, and he was forgiven. And now as someone who is forgiven, he will have to bear the consequences of his sin. I, see here, I think here is where David's example is a needful correction to us in a misconception that many of us have. We think that if we sin, we can just ask forgiveness, then everything will be okay. Everything will be honky-dory. 
And the result of that kind of thinking is that sin becomes inconsequential. It has no repercussions. We can just sin, ask forgiveness, and nothing will happen. Dear friends, know this. Sin always has repercussions. Sin always bears deathly consequences. If you don't believe me, look at David's life. See, many think that because they have been forgiven their sin, that therefore they are free from the consequences of their sin. Now, of course, I know there's an element of truth to that. As we are forgiven of our sin, we are freed from the ultimate consequences of our sin. The ultimate consequences is death, right? Eternal death, separation from God, condemnation away from His blessed presence. But we're not always freed from the immediate consequences of our sin. Why? Because God does use those consequences for a greater end. He uses those consequences to chastise us, to discipline us, to cleanse us from our sin, to make us holy. The church father Christostom once said this, God imposes a penalty on us not to punish us for past sins, but to correct us against future ones. This actually comes out so beautifully in, in the letter to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6, the writer says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. He even says in verse, 11, or in verse 9 to 11, We have earthly fathers who disciplined us, or mothers, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, God allows us to bear the consequences of our sin, and God allows us to live in a world under the consequences of sin in order to discipline us, to chastise us, to, to cleanse us of our sin, and to conform us to the image of Christ. And here we see what C.S. Lewis has called God's severe mercy. Because he allows this, these consequences as a mercy, as a means to, of grace to cleanse us of our sin and to correct and rebuke us and to guide us in his ways. Realize when God for, forgives us, he justifies us. But when he forgives us, he also commits to, to sanctify us. I, I like the way Gordon Kelly put it. He said, God has taken the retribution, that is the retribution of our sin, but we still need the rehabilitation. And so the question for us this morning is, how shall we respond? How shall we respond to our sin, to the consequences of our sin? How shall we respond to the fact that we live in a world that is bearing the consequences of sin? And perhaps more importantly, how shall we respond so that we would grow in holiness? So that we would grow more and more into the image of Christ. 
Well, I think David's example is helpful for us here in the second half of chapter 12. David is starting to live under the consequences of his sin, and his response, I think, is instructive for us. I want us to see three ways David responds. Um, I want us to see three ways David responds, and I want to tie to what we saw last week. We saw last week in terms of David's repentance that it ended with this desire for renewal. Well, your David in our passage responds by seeking a renewed relationship with God, and not just God, but others. So, so the first thing I want you to see, the first response of David I want you to see is David responds with renewed prayer. He responds with renewed prayer. Uh, in, in verse 15 onwards, we see that the child born to David and Bathsheba is afflicted and becomes sick. Remember verse, verse 14 tells us that, that this sickness is of God. It's God's judgment upon David. And, and therefore, it is a direct result and consequence of David's sin. Yet, yet what is amazing to see is the fact that despite this being God's judgment on David, David still pleads to God for mercy. He still pleads to God to heal the son. I don't think David is putting on a show here. I, I think David here is in the depths of his despair, and with all the fiber of his being, he's imploring God to spare the son so that this innocent son would not have to pay for the consequences of his sin. And so what we see here is David with a keen awareness of his sin and with a keen awareness of the consequences of his sin, seeks God out in prayer. Now, we need to see what's behind this prayer. Why, why does David pray for healing when he knows that God has said this child will die? Well, David prays because he knows the character of God. He knows that God is gracious and merciful. You see that in verse 22, where David says, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me? See, David knows that God is gracious. He knows that the, Lord, that the Lord abounds with steadfast love, and therefore he prays. Now, I think there's a helpful lesson for us here from David, a, a lesson we need to know as we live in a world filled with the consequences of sin. God's people should pray even under God's dark providences. Realize in this world we will have affliction. There will be suffering that God allows. There will be injustices that God allows. Pain and affliction and evil. God allows these things and it seems unfair, right? Isn't that what we see here? God afflicts this innocent child. How, how could God do this thing? How could He allow that? Perhaps you've asked those kind of questions. You've lost a loved one. You've, you've been afflicted by a serious sickness. You've, you've been broken again and again by trial after trial. And, and it all seems unfair. Well, well, if that's you, if that's what you've been wrestling with, know this, that not only do you live in a world under the consequences of sin, but remember that God has allowed these consequences ultimately for our good. God allows dark providences so that we would turn to Him and see Him and know that He is our help and our hope. 
That we, that's what we see in David. He, he knows that God is his only hope. He says this in Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. Even Psalm 39, 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Dear friends, know this in dark providences. God doesn't want us to become stoic fatalists. He doesn't just want us to have that, that, that uh, English stiff upper lip. No, He wants us to turn to Him in prayer. To lay all our pain and our afflictions on Him. To look to Him as our hope and our strength. It's often the case that before we sin, we neglected God. And the result of that is the consequences of sin. Well, under those consequences, God reminds us again of our great need for Him. Uh, let God speak to you this morning through David. Listen to how David exhorts himself and I think exhorts us even this morning. Psalm 62, verse 5 and 8. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Dear friends, in dark providences, under the consequences of your sin, which is often painful, turn to God with renewed prayer. He is your rock. Pour out your heart before Him. He delights in it when we make Him our rock and our refuge. Secondly, I want you to see David's response. Second response. And David responds with renewed submission. Renewed submission. In verse 18 to 23, we see that David's son dies. And to the shock of his servants, David ends his mourning and goes back to life as normal. In fact, in verse 20, we see these rapid verbs that kind of explains how quick this response of David was. It says there, then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And then he went to his own house and he asked for food and they said before him and he ate. Again, the, the fact that David turns so quickly to life as normal isn't proof here that he's putting on a show. The, the fact that he moves from weeping to worship so quickly isn't proof that he's, he's just uh, faking it. Now, what this proves is David's submission to God. He's pleaded with God to, to save his son, to heal him, and God has chosen to not answer it. God has chosen to take the son. And instead of kicking out against God, instead of raging in anger and in disappointment, David returns to God and he worships God in submission. David is living out here what Job said in Job 1.21, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, David here responds with renewed submission to God. And again, we have much to learn here from David. Let me ask you, how do you respond to disappointment? How do you respond to, to those times when God says no? 
Uh, no, this, in this world, God often says no. He says no to taking away your pain, no to taking away that suffering, that affliction, taking away that boss, taking away that person. He often says no. I think of Paul and his thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks of this thorn that, that harassed him. Uh, and Paul says three times he pleaded with the Lord to take it away, yet God said no. Why? Well, Paul says in verse 7 uh, that, that God, God kept that or kept the thorn to keep him from becoming conceited. In other words, to keep him from sin. The difference, God will many a time say no to our prayers and He will not remove that pain, He will not remove that suffering, not remove that trouble or that hardship because He wants to use those very things to cleanse you from your sin, to conform you to the image of His Son. I found this hymn by George Bernard and the first two stanzas go like this. First, two, three, and four, uh, second, third, and fourth stanza goes like this. How patient thou hast been with my pride and inbred sin. Oh, what mercy thou hast shown, grace and love unknown. Lord, I loathe myself and sin. Enter now and make me clean. Make my heart just like thine own. Come, Lord, take thy throne. Lord, thy love has won my all. Let thy spirit on me fall. Burn up every trace of sin. Make me pure within. The question I ask is how? How does that happen? How is sin burned up within us? How are we made pure within? How is our heart conformed to God and sin cleansed? Well, I think Bernard would answer in the first stanza and his refrain. He says this, Jesus See at thy feet with my sacrifice complete. I bring all to thee. Thine alone I'll be. Have thy way. Lord, have thy way. This with all my heart I say. I'll obey thee, come what may. Dear Lord, have thy way. See, those are words of submission. Those are words of saying, I surrender absolutely everything of myself to you even when you say no. See, for us to be cleansed of sin, even as we find ourselves under the consequences of our sin, we need to daily renew our submission to God. We need to daily say to Him, not my will, but your will be done. We pray daily that His will would be done in our hearts as it is in heaven. We need to renew our submission to God. So we see that David responds with renewed prayer, renewed submission. I want you to see thirdly that David responds with renewed faithfulness. Uh, you could divide verse 24 to 31 into two sections. That's what the ESV does. Uh, and nevertheless, both divisions really stress the same theme, and that is David's faithfulness. Uh, in verse 15 to 23, we, we see the focus is on David's renewed relationship with God. And in verse 24 to 31, we see his renewed relationship with others. Uh, he, he renews his relationship on the one and to his wife, whom he cares for, and on the other to the nation that he again serves. In, in verse 24, we see David goes, goes to Bathsheba. And by the way, she's called his wife now. Uh, and he goes and he cares for her. 
suggesting that there's been restoration, so much so that they conceive a child together. A child who, interestingly, has two names. Solomon, which some scholars say has two meanings. It either can mean replacement or peace. And I think the idea is, both of those are true. God here is replacing David's anguish with peace. But God gives Solomon another name, Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. And all of this, the birth of Solomon, his new, these two names, and, and this marriage recommitment to Bathsheba, all, all tokens of God's grace to David. Tokens of God's blessing to him, despite his sin. Despite the consequences of his sin. God still comes and, and shows favor. We see this even in verse 26. At the request of Joab, David returns to his duties as king. He is meant to lead the army as king. We saw that a few weeks ago. In chapter 10, we saw the start of the war with the Ammonites. In, in chapter 11, we see how he neglected those duties. And now in chapter 12, David returns to his duties, and God gives him the victory over the Ammonites. And again, all of this is meant to show us God's favor to David. God returns and shows blessing to David as David returns and, and shows faithfulness to God. And that, I think, is the point I want us to see, that, that David enjoys these blessings because he's renewed his faithfulness to God. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings. And we, we see something of that even here with David. And then now, to be sure, David will fail in this in the rest of 2 Samuel. We see how he fails as a father. We see how he fails as a husband and a king. But the point for us now is that after his sin, and as he starts being the consequences of his sin, he renews his faithfulness to God and to others. Now, I trust this isn't a surprise to us. Remember, one of the steps that led to David's downfall was his dereliction of duties. And therefore, it should be no surprise to us that our recovery from sin needs to require a recovery or a renewal in our duties. I imagine that wasn't easy for David. It must have been easy to kind of reconnect with Bathsheba and to earn her respect. It probably wasn't easy to, to regain the trust of his generals and his army and the nation. It's difficult, but it required renewal. It required faithfulness. Now, now why do I emphasize this particular point? Because I would venture to say that sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, we not only presume upon God's grace, but on that presumption, we slack in our devotion. On the presumption that God has forgiven us and He's shown us grace and blessing, we slack in our pursuit of holiness. We slack in our faithfulness in our duties. We, we know that we're not saved by our works. We, we know that, that we're not forgiven because of anything in us. No, we are saved by grace. We are forgiven because of what God has given in His Son. But just because we're saved by grace, just because we are forgiven because of what Christ has done, doesn't mean that now, therefore, we don't work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean that now, therefore, we don't train ourselves for godliness and serve God as faithful and wise stewards, as servants. See, there is this requirement to be faithful again to God, even under the consequences of sin. 
even if it's difficult. Dear friends, which area do you need to be renewed in your faithfulness this morning? Dear beloved of God, where are you presuming upon God's grace instead of working out God's grace in greater faithfulness? Is it perhaps the case that you're neglecting prayer? There's a neglect of this relationship with God where you enjoy God and you seek His face in prayer, relying upon Him as your rock and your refuge. Are you perhaps neglecting His Word? You're failing to submit to God's Word because you're not in His Word. You're not reading that as the source of blessing in your life, the the way that is set before you in His Word. Or or perhaps you're not being faithful to your duties, your duties as as a husband perhaps, or as a father or a parent, a church member. Dear friends, rejoice. There is forgiveness of sins, but that forgiveness should lead us to greater faithfulness. Even though we live under the consequences of sin in this world, let us be renewed to our God. Let us be renewed in our devotion to us. Let us be renewed in prayer. Let us be renewed in submission to God. And let us be renewed in our faithfulness to Him. Now, now to, to motivate this call to renewal... I think we need to be motivated primarily because of the gospel again. We need to be renewed in our love for how God has first loved us in the gospel. Now, I think we see an allusion to the gospel in this passage. In in 2 Samuel 12, we see a son who dies, a, a son who dies because of sin, but we also see a son who lives, a son who lives, replacing anguish with peace, a son loved by God. Dear friends, in the gospel we see a son who dies. A son who dies because of sin. A son who dies for sinners. And not only does that son die, no, Jesus lives. He conquers death, Satan, and sin. And he replaces our anguish. And the punishment that we owe, deserve for our sin, he replaces with his peace justifies us, reconciles us to God, so that now in Him we can know God's love. As sons and daughters adopted by God, and because of that gospel, we cannot be crushed by the burdens of our sin. We, we need not be overwhelmed by the consequences of our sin. Because we know the Son of God lives and intercedes for us. Behold what, behold what grace God has given to us this morning. Behold the Son of God and what He has done for us. And may we behold Him. And in beholding Him, may we become more like Him, being sanctified even through the consequences of our sins. Yes, you'll reap what you sow. Yes, our actions have consequences. But rejoice in knowing that God uses even these things to not condemn us, but to conform us to His Son. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank You for Your mercy and grace this morning. Thank You that You're not a God who leaves us in our sin, even when we have sinned against Your grace. Thank you for the example of David before us and how he 
renewed himself to you in his prayer, in his submission, and even in his, his faithfulness. And may we follow his example, not in our own strength, not because we're following him, but because we're following Christ. Because we're following the Son of God who died and lived again so that we would live for you and die to sin. Help us in this, dear Lord. We pray that you'd give us the grace to do this. Batter our hearts, dear Lord. Knock, knock us. Cause us to be broken over sin. Help us to shine again. Mend us so that we would follow you in greater faithfulness. Help us to be enthralled by you more and more, even as you chastise us, even as you discipline us. All for the sake of your glory and honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.